a lot of times we craft the communication for us in our style. Think about it when you write an email to someone or even when you're writing a text message. You're crafting that to get what you need or get what you want, and you're doing it with the words and the phrasing and the amount of content you're putting in there that, that you like and that you can tolerate and, and, you, and, and you can read. What you need to do and what I challenge people to do every day at work and at home is to craft the communication for them. It's the first rule of any communication. Welcome back everyone to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us and explore the disruptive convergence of technology, business, and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Cochran. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Geeks, Skeezers, and Googleization, a show from the People Forward Network. I'm Ira Wolf. And I'm Jason Cochran. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. If you think this is just another podcast, think again. We are the heart and soul of crucial conversations focused on helping you reimagine your tomorrow and evaluate the convergence of technology, people, and work. Ira, on this episode, we're going to be hearing from leadership communication coach and workplace relations consultant, Michael Perperno, as we discuss improving workplace communication. I mean, how important is that right now in the world, especially with so many people working from home? And he's also the co-founder or founder, rather, of a consulting firm, the Comvia Group, which helps professionals get their messages heard, convince stakeholders, become better presenters, build their personal brands improve interpersonal and workplace relationships, and inspire high-performing teams. Ira, here's something that Googleization Nation might not know. In 2021, the Workplace Institute did a global survey with more than 4,000 employees on the topic of feeling heard. 86% of those folks reported not feeling heard fairly or equally in the workplace. That's nearly 9 out of 10 global employees. And particular subgroups that were indicating not feeling heard were essential workers, younger workers, and then parents of young children as well. When you couple that with some research that just came out two weeks ago from the Pew Research Center, they found that 56% of employees that were part of the Great Resignation last year, they quit because they felt disrespected by their employer. When you couple those things together, it's increasingly clear that many employees aren't interested in listening to leadership until their voices are heard first. Jason, you know this, and, and all our and our listeners most likely do. Many are, are probably tuning in to figure out how do we deal with this, this great resignation, this great reshuffle, this great reevaluation. We talked about this on our live stream just yesterday. Um, here's a perfect example between leadership and the people. There was a survey that was out just I just saw it last week, and it said that 66% of managers said that they do not think that their remote work initiatives will remain in place. And yet, when we we talked with CEO of Ivanti, Jeff Abbott, and David Shepard, who's their global VP, about their new Everywhere Workplace survey, only 13% of all the respondents said that they want to go back to work full-time, not back to work, but back to the office full-time permanently, that over half 
still want to demand. It's not that they want. They demand or they're willing to quit. They're willing to turn down a promotion. They're willing to turn down a raise to be able to work hybrid. So perfect example about not listening to your people. That's absolutely right. And then listening to the point of not only I hear you, but now we're going to change some policies or procedures to give you what you want and you need. And that's why we're so excited that we have Michael on the show with us today. He's an expert in this in workplace relations. And so we're going to help figure out how do we bridge that chasm between leadership and employees and help organizations actually follow through on the things that are most important for their people. And so without further ado, let's go ahead and welcome Michael to the show. Hi, Michael. Hey, Jason and Ira, how are you? Thanks so much for having me on today. It's wonderful. It's it's a topic that I love. I, built my, I started my business around this 26 years ago, and it's great to have you, who's an expert in this. Michael, right before the show, we started to talk about, and, and again, I know we have a, lot, a large part of our listener, of our audience base, have probably used tools like DISC and Myers-Briggs, and some of them used it to improve communication and, and team building and, and many of the things that you're going to talk about today. But let me just start this out, and, uh, and I shared this a little bit before. When I talk about whatever style you're using, and it doesn't matter which tool you use, if you're talking about colors, if you're talking about animals, if you're talking about DISC, if you're talking about ABCD, whatever it is, they represent four different preferred communication styles. And, and that, that's my reference. And you can challenge, you can tell me if I'm right or wrong with that, but that's how we present that. And so if people can imagine that, let's say there's only four languages in the world, and there's thousands of languages, but only four languages in the world, English, Spanish, Japanese, and Russian, and you only understand English. If, and the other people in the room only talk the other languages only speak the other languages. If I talk louder and slower, <laughs> it doesn't help. <laughs> they, That's right. and, and we've all been in that situation that it just doesn't work. And you can take that same example and start talking about, as Jason and I just talked about, the gap between leadership and, and their employee base. Talk about it between two spouses. I don't mm-hmm. think all that. You're not listening to me. And I said, I said exactly what you said. And no, no, you didn't. You didn't listen to me. How do we get beyond that? So again, that's the setup. That's where we're coming from. I know we have a, a lot of, again, a lot of our listeners are familiar with Disc and Myers-Briggs. And I wanted to put that, and I know you have a tool that you use as well, and uh, we can dig into that. That's a great example. I mean, you know, talking louder and, and talking slower isn't necessarily going to to make you communicate well. And I think the point there that I take from that and, and something that I teach and that I coach a lot of people on is a lot of times we craft the communication for us in our style. Think about it when you write an email to someone or even when you're writing a text message. You're crafting that to get what you need or get what you want. And you're doing it with the words and the phrasing and the amount of t- content you're putting in there that, that you like and that you can tolerate and, and, you, and, and you can read. What you need to do and what I challenge people to do every day at work and at home is to craft the communication for them. It's the first rule of any communication. Even, For example, you're putting a presentation together. It's not for you. It's for the audience. So you have to make sure that you're telling that story in a way that will resonate with the audience, whether you want them to move to action, learn something, remember something, whatever it is. And you have to make sure you're not flying too high for them. You have to close that gap. 
it's the same in even the small micro communications we send every day. If you're willing to take a moment, I always just say, take a beat, think about the human on the other end and craft it for them as much as possible. That doesn't mean you have to lose yourself in it. It doesn't mean that you have to change who you are to communicate effectively for someone else. What I'm saying is just make sure you're considering the person on the other end, and then you're going to set them up for success in responding. And Michael, with that, has that become more difficult, you think, as people are working more remotely and they're not around people as much in the office? Have you seen any any increasing challenges around that given the pandemic? I have. I've seen more disconnects, more frustration, more friction with teams, especially among teams that are relying more and more on computer-mediated communication, texting, Slack, Microsoft Teams messaging, and, and, and relying more and more on email. Because what happens there, Jason, is that we're stripped of the nonverbal communication that you would normally have in an in-person interaction. And that's, you know, that can be 50, 75% of the communication, of your communication that's stripped out of that specific message. So sometimes you have to ask for that face-to-face -face meeting over Zoom or Teams. Sometimes it's better to do an audio call or pick up the phone, especially for delicate topics, because a lot of times the intent that you have when you're crafting that communication doesn't come through without the, without the benefit of having the tone of voice, the facial expression that goes with it. So consider that, and especially as we go more hybrid and remote as time goes on, you need to take extra care to think about the right medium for the message. It can't all be one and done. It can't all be just email or, or text. There's a time to take that step back and make sure you're bringing the richness of nonverbal communication into, the, into, into play. That's such good advice. When the pandemic started and, and I started doing more written communication, one of the people that noticed me starting to use emojis was my wife. Mm -hmm. He goes, you're not an emoji user. Why are you starting to use it in text? And it's like, well, it's because I'm using it more at work. Since I'm doing a lot more written communication, I'm trying to put some emotive intent you know, behind the words that are being communicated. And so I'm sure we have a lot of folks listening today too, that if they were to do an honest assessment of themselves, maybe they like me, have jumped into using more emojis as well to try and help convey some of that nonverbal emotionality, so to speak, in the written communication. Yeah, and I've done that more too since since the, the hybrid and remote environment because of the pandemic. I've been using more. I used, I used to be someone who didn't use many emojis in email. I kept the email more formal and saved the emojis for the chat and then the Teams or Slack's chat. But yes, now I'm bringing a little bit more of that in. What I'm also doing, and I recommend that people do, is again, when you consider the human on the other end of that communication, don't send an email with 15 bolded action items to someone who typically only responds to one or two of them. That's just going to make you frustrated. You're setting that person up to frustrate you and cause friction. If you really have 15 bullet points and that person doesn't have the time or typically doesn't respond that way, you need a different approach. Schedule a quick meeting. Tick through those items together when you have that person's attention. If you really only need three answers, only put three bullets in the email. Let them set them up to give you what you need in the first exchange back. Because if you're going, if you're playing that ping pong ball with, with email, that should have been a meeting or a conversation. That shouldn't be an email anymore. What you're talking about there, Michael, makes me think of an aspect of intelligence we often hear relationship intelligence. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about communication, but it's so critical for relationship intelligence. 
And I know you do a lot of coaching and consulting around that topic of relationship intelligence. Can you share with our audience what that is and, and how communication fits into that? Sure. It's it's an important piece that we often as leaders get wrong when we put teams together is we train them on the procedures. We train them on the communication channels we have in place. We talk sometimes about when we should use email for this, chat for that, or whatever. So we, we have those procedures and we do that type of training. But what we often miss is we don't train our folks to understand each other or give them the opportunity to understand how we're all beautifully different when we come together. I'm motivated by different things than you, Jason, or you, Ira, are. We probably all experience conflict a little bit differently. Like when I'm feeling conflicted, I get quiet. I start analyzing. I want to figure out why I'm feeling this way and what we can do to get us all out of it. But Ira, you may be someone who looks out for the welfare of the team first and is more concerned about the people and how everybody's feeling and if we're okay. Jason, you may be someone who says, and I'm not saying you are, I don't know, but you may be someone who says, okay, we got to fix this now. And you want a quick action because we can always fix the collateral dam damage later, but we need to make a decision. That's all very different. We're in a conflict pool together. We're going to frustrate each other if we don't know that that's what happens to us in conflict. So what relationship intelligence is, to answer your question, is when we can do the work to get insights into how we all operate, we can then help each other in these moments of communication in ways that are going to resonate with each other. So basically relationship intelligence is insights into each other so that we can improve communication and then improve our relationships and the business's bottom line or the organization's mission as a result. So, and I do that through an assessment. Ira, you mentioned before the assessments, I use something called the strength deployment inventory to help with that, but you don't have to use an assessment to help with that. It helps, but the bottom line is you need to be talking about what we all bring to the table, where we're all coming from, the strengths that we bring to the table. And if we're not talking about that, then how can we understand how we're all reacting when things start to go kaboom? Michael, it's it's so funny. And I know the people that are listening to this, especially on the podcast afterwards, can't seem to smile on my face. <laughs> but having just done a presentation and really had a wonderful response, and I, and I appreciate that, except somebody came up and they go, I really enjoyed your pr presentation, but I was distracted because you had a typo in the slide. Mm -hmm. And when you, when you think about communication, we all think it's a one-way street, it, that it's just how do we present, how do we write, what are the words we use? But it's communication is also about how other people, how we receive that information, mm -hmm. how others receive that. So it, it's so important and it's challenging, but that leads up to that. We're obviously talking to a group and unless we're all clones of one another, we're going to have either a team of a, of a variety of different styles, communication styles. If you're speaking, if you're presenting a variety of different communication styles, how do you suggest you present that on, how do you speak four languages or multiple languages all at the same time? without creating a lot of noise. <laughs> yes. Well, you have to. So especially when you're giving a presentation like you were doing in that instance. So you're giving a presentation. You have probably a wide range of different people, personalities in the audience, maybe different agendas, different goals that they're even attending. 
So it's very difficult to tailor a presentation to every single person in the room. However, you usually do know who the key stakeholders are. So if you're in a room to convince certain folks, then they're really your audience. And those are the folks that you want to try to tailor that communication with. When it's a, a large, so I give a lot of workshops where people attend the workshop and they're from multiple different departments. Sometimes I get a group that's, you know, a certain team or a certain group of folks. That's easier for me. I can speak more clearly to them. I can identify their pain points and, and talk more clearly to them. But sometimes it's very broad. So I have to make sure that I'm keeping the content fairly broad, but I do run the risk there of not resonating with folks as much. And that happens. I just got survey results from two workshop, two day workshop, I two half day workshop I did last week. And you know, most of them were great, but I had that one that was like, oh, I wish you had done this. And I wish you had done this and you didn't spend enough time on this. And, and at first I looked at it, I was like, oh, darn it. You know, I don't like getting a negative review like that, but I have to remember that person may not have been in the right headspace. Maybe they were on the phone the whole time and missed stuff, or maybe yes, the content was too basic for them. They were at a higher level than what I was presenting. So I think the bottom line there is we have to give ourselves permission for our communications to be imperfect at times. We're never perfect. We don't always get it right. But when you are more intentional about the story you need to tell to a specific audience, that's when you really get it right. And you want to do that as much as possible. Can't happen in every single communication. But if you challenge your listeners today, this afternoon, tomorrow, take an extra beat and think about who am I really, what am I trying to get this person to understand, to do, to feel, and craft the communication for that. I'll bet you, you'll get a better response than if you didn't take that moment to consider that. Michael, let's let's zoom in on conflict a little bit. You brought that up earlier. And the facts are the facts. We got a lot of stressed people mm. in the world because of everything that's happened. And one of the first things that often starts to slide a little bit when people get stressed is how effectively they communicate. And and then you enter into the conflict cycles that you referenced there. Can you walk us through a little bit in in terms of of conflict and conflict resolution? How is it sometimes that our strengths actually can become our biggest weaknesses when we find ourselves in a, in a conflict cycle? Sure. Well, conflict is one of my favorite topics to talk about because if we can, if we can help each other not spiral into conflict and push each other further, we're going to have a healthier relationship and we're going to solve problems more efficiently together. So thanks for bringing that up. As far as strengths in conflict, when, when things are starting to let me just define conflict the way I define it real quick, Jason. I, I define conflict as when things, opposition turns personal. So you're feeling uncomfortable or you've been tweaked in some way or you're feeling like you're maybe being attacked a little bit. That all f causes conflict. But I consider conflict and I define it differently than what I would call healthy opposition. When you, Ira, and I, are, or you, Jason, and I are just having a debate or some discourse that may be a little bit heated, but there's, it's not personal. We're still respecting each other. We're assuming positive intent in each other, and we're just trying to figure it out. That's the best place to, res to resolve it and not move into conflict. And in our workforce, unfortunately, what we do a lot is we avoid healthy opposition because we think it's conflict. And it's, I challenge your listeners to think that it's not. 
but you need a psychologically safe workspace for that to happen. But when you can do that for your team as a leader and really define and have people feel what healthy opposition feels like and looks like, you can avoid conflict. Now, when you do go into conflict, it gets personal. It's inevitable. It happens. Even people, even when we are, we're all well-intended, that's when those strengths, Jason, you say could potentially make it worse. So for example, when I'm conflict, I analyze things. And when I analyze, I really latch on to the data and the facts and I want emotion out of it. All right. And I will persevere to get to the facts. Now, perseverance for me is a positive strength to me. I'm doing what I need to do to get us out of this and to get everybody feeling well in the end. But to you, maybe in that moment, you may be so frustrated with me because I won't let go and I won't get to a resolution fast or I'm ignoring the people and the emotions. I'm not intending to do that. But the way I operate in conflict is to figure it all out factually. And then I feel strongly we can resolve it. But I could tweak you in that moment. We do it all the time in conflict because of the way I feel like a strength should be used when things aren't going well is different than yours and could be different than Iris. So the best thing you can do is honor that. If I can say to you, Jason, I know you want to get to a resolution quickly. I, I respect that. I think that's a great move. But can I have 15 minutes just to work through this? Because I'm going to be more effective in resolving this with you if I can get that time. Likely you'll give it to me, but you didn't know that I needed that unless I told you, right? That's right. So that's the challenge for everybody is to just really take that step back and think about how diff someone may be processing this a little bit differently and give them the space to do that. Of course, if you do the, like an assessment like the one I do, you can find out about your team's different, the way they, they experience conflict and know, but you can do it just by observing. If, if your listeners observe when, when things aren't going well, how people are behaving and what they're doing, you can learn, okay, that's what, that, that's what Janine does when she's conflict. It's not bad. It's just different. It's different than me. That's brilliant, Michael. And just to reemphasize what you shared there real quickly, that sentence stem of, I understand, and then fill in the blank with their need, mm -hmm. followed up by, but can we, and then positioning your need. I think that's a brilliant tactic there that you just shared with our listeners that they can use to try and disengage conflict and reduce the primitive brain from coming up and, and taking us back and causing us to de-evolve into the, the more, more emotional part. Michael, I love the point that you talk about, you can observe. And, and I mentioned earlier about listening and, you know, we talk about the disc language. And, and again, I use that as a broad term because people are familiar with it, which includes the SDI is an observable language. You don't need to test everybody. You know, well, how do we test people, strangers or a customer walks in or, you know, certainly maybe you should do that before you date. And in a lot of dating apps use things, you know, similar to that. But you learn to pick up the cues of what's the body language, what's the tone, what's the words people use, how quickly they talk, how loud do they speak. You can get a sense of where that is. But I'm going to put you on the spot, and I'm going to take this going back to what, what we talked about conflict, is that let's talk about it generationally. And we, the show's topic is Geek Skeezers Googleization. So <laughs> the original theme of that was my book, and it was about the four generations and the conflicts before the four generations. You know, a very, very common response I hear is like these young people 
and generally they say millennials and that's almost anybody under 45 under 45 years old now but it's like, right. it comes to a lot of people but young people are just so sensitive i just like i just say it like it is it's efficient i just tell them to do something and they take offense to it and some people just say listen i'm just blunt i'm candid and go that's what we like about you michael you just say what it like it is you don't beat around the bush and then other people just shrivel up get angry take it personal and go around have you worked you obviously have worked with teams and companies how you took a situation like that and improved it yeah and it's a mutual understanding thing and i and i'm i i feel like millennials get a bad rap in, in our society, to be honest with you, because it's, you know, it, it's not fair to label them as too sensitive or whatever, however, you, you know, they get labeled in the business world. I do think that there is not enough training in our business world and in our organization world, as far as the type of training I've been talking about, really helping the relationship intelligence training, helping everybody understand where we're all coming from. But then also, you know, the use of technology and tools is very different now than it was, you know, a generation ago. I'm Gen Z, okay? I, I, I have, I've had email as most, for most of my professional life, but social media wasn't there. Texting wasn't there. Most of my job and my first job was on the telephone because some of my clients didn't even have email. So it is my journey has been different, and the journey of the millennials and the Gen Zs have been different. And instead of us, you know, people saying that it's so different that they don't get it or we or they should be a certain way, my challenge is, well, why don't we talk about how we're different so that we can understand how we're different? And I think that leaders doing that and not just bringing on a young person or a millennial or Gen Z or someone and throwing them into the culture Let's just let's have more conversations about what the culture is and what this new person brings to that culture. Because I always say, you know, there's there's a lot of beauty in what we all bring. And a lot of times we miss that opportunity because we ask people to completely conform to what we think that job role should be or we think the methods of communication should be when really if we turn it over and say, here's how we're doing it. You're new. You've had technology. There is all of your life. How could we maybe be doing this differently? That could be a really great thing to bring into the culture or the, or the communication system, but you can't then shove that down the throats of people who haven't used that. There has to be a conversation. There has to be a sharing. So what I do have done in the past with that is more talking more sharing, and more communication around why we see things differently. Because if that communication is not happening, what are you going to get? You're going to get friction. Michael, you just brought up an incredibly important point, but we're going to take a break because so many organizations today are hiring for culture fit. Mm -hmm. And while I believe that the people should share similar values, similar vision within your company, oftentimes when we talk about culture fit, it's political points of views or belief mm -hmm. systems, or we're going to create a more diversity and then it becomes about color and gender and ethnicity, but rarely seems to have a discussion about this communication, different types of communication. We want to be collaborative. We, want to, we don't want to have conflict. So, we, so you automatically exclude a very important part 
of the population. So when you come back, we're going to talk a little bit about that. But we want to thank our listeners for being part of Geek Skeezers and Googleization. We are talking about Geek Skeezers and Googleization, how technology is changing everything and the convergence about people, technology, and work. We are going to be right back. We're going to take a short break. And stay tuned. We're with Michael Piperno today. We're talking about leadership, communication, and work. Thanks. Change doesn't pick favorites. No matter who you are or where you live, the year 2020 was filled with one unexpected challenge after another. According to the authors of The Adaptation Advantage, we are incredibly well prepared for the past, but woefully unprepared for the future. That leaves millions of people feeling scared, worried, frustrated, and confused. Whether you're the owner of a business or a worker out of a job, adaptability is now an essential skill you need to ride the next wave of normal. The good news is is that science shows that adaptability is learnable. Adaptability gives us the confidence and courage to think about change and embrace opportunity in the right way. Adaptability gives us hope for a better future. And goodness knows we need hope. Are you ready to embrace change and double down on your future? Contact Success Performance Solutions today to schedule a consultation about how you can reimagine your team's future, how you can begin to think about opportunity the right way. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. I'm here today with Jason, my host, my co-host, Jason Cochran, and Michael Piperno from a company. His company is Comvia. We've been talking about communication, leadership, relationship, intelligence, conflict, team players, team play, multiple generations. Michael, when we when we left off right before the commercial, uh, we were talking about culture fit how how does how does relationship intelligence fit into culture fit and and also creating diversity because so many people want to hire people like themselves and while that's i always say that's a little easier to manage it doesn't necessarily help the company grow it doesn't help the people grow and it doesn't you know help people progress so where where does what's your role in this how can you help people Sure. So, I mean, there's culture. Culture is critically important in in a company or an organization, and I think that hiring for culture fit can be a can be good in some ways, but also dangerous in other ways, as you've alluded to. Because, as an example, I ran a branding agency for a long time. If I hired all the people who thought the same as me and had the same skills as me, we never would have won all the awards that we won because I was good, but I wasn't the best designer. I wasn't the best writer. And I needed different perspectives and I needed people to challenge my thinking. And that's, that's very important in, in many businesses. So, so I think you need to create a culture that people want to be a part of. I think that's very important. But I also think that you can use the power of relationship intelligence and training people about communication to your advantage with that. So, you know, you bring on folks that maybe aren't quite the same way that everybody else operates but you level set what they're bringing to the table, what motivates them, what's going to happen to them in conflict like we talked about previously. And if you're doing that and you're spending that time, now it takes time, Jason and I, this stuff doesn't just happen overnight. You have to invest time in it. But if leaders really want high-performing, diverse teams 
that are operating with a level of mutual respect and remembering that everybody, even though we're different, all comes to this table with positive intent. I mean, really, 99% of the time, people are doing their best to do to do right by each other and by the company. So if, if you have that kind of culture and are able to respect the differences, that's great. But it's even more powerful if you know what those difference, all, differences are and then how to honor them as you all move forward together as this business unit or as this team. Jason, I think you're on mute. Sorry, Michael, when companies bring you in to help with communication, a lot of our listeners are executives. They may be the HR leaders in their organization. They might be wondering, how would I get started? What particular strategy or plan might this fit in? And what would be the first steps in terms of working on a communication plan? Can you provide some context of what it typically looks like to really dig in on communication and culture and how that kind of fits within some of the traditional structures of strategies and plans inside organizations? Sure. sure. And it all, it all depends, Jason, on you know where the size of the organization, where, where they're at, what's the status of the team. But generally, you want to do some kind of assessment. You know, you, I often come in and talk to the talk to the leadership team, but then I also talk to a lot of the, the team members on the team and really find out from their perception how things are going as far as communication. Are people feeling seen and heard? Do they feel like they have a voice? Do they feel like they, they, they understand what the mission and vision is? And, and do they feel like they're able to speak up when they have ideas? There's so many things that come out when you do that kind of communication audit and assessment. So that's often a, a good way to start to really find out what's going on under the hood from a communication standpoint in your organization. A lot of times you find that gives people a safe space to talk about the frustrations they, ha they see that they haven't necessarily felt comfortable bringing up. So that can be very, very insightful. Sometimes it's more just a matter of, you know, especially for small teams, you know, they, they're, they're pretty, they pretty much know each other well, but they, they know there are pain points or they know there's something wrong. A lot of times a business owner will come to me and say, Michael, I've hired all the right people on paper. You know, I've got the right this brain and the right that brain and the right this brain. And I love them. They're all great. But there's too much friction. There's too many disconnects. There are some people who are introverted who I can't get to speak up. There are some people who are air hogs and take up to like, I don't know what to do with all of this. I can come in and help with that. And that usually is some, you know, we can use an assessment to do that. There are many different ways to do that. But I usually facilitate a dialogue around all of these things to really help everyone understand why this is happening so that they can feel comfortable addressing it going forward. I got a question for you, and this is from a consultant uh, to a consultant. Every time that I've gotten called over 26 years, that somebody says, I'm interested in, you know, we're, we're thinking about having a workshop or having you come in about team, about team building. Hmm. Is it ever about team building or is it about conflict resolution? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's quite often about, you're right, Ira. And a lot of times I get a little bit spooked when someone comes, calls me and says, I need a workshop because they're usually trying to band-aid five or six years of not providing professional development or not providing you know, a safe, psychologically safe space for their team and they want it fixed in a half day off site. And that doesn't, that doesn't usually work. So when I get those calls, it usually turns into a nice conversation about, 
you know, what's going on here? Tell me about it. Tell me about your team. Tell me about your, what you're seeing. And tell me about what you see as success. Like, what do, you, what do you want out of whether it's a workshop or a series of training, or maybe you really need one-on-one coaching with some key people because it's really a top-down problem that you've ignored. So I'm pretty good at diagnosing that within, within a few phone calls to get people to where I can create a program for them that's actually going to make something better rather than just say, we did the training. It's so funny because I'm probably a little bit more succinct, but I've gotten to the point when somebody says that and I said, can I be honest? Who are you trying to fix? Right. You know, who mm-hmm. are you trying to make better? And, you know, many times and most of the times I, I get a little bit of a snicker and a, and a, and a laugh on the other side and to go, oh, I can see you've been through this before. Mm-hmm. And, and ultimately, you know, the, the goal is, is team building and teamwork. Um, but ultimately, their success factor will be, have we remedied this particular situation? Right. Have we either have the, this has this person either improve their communication, their collaboration, there's less friction, there's less tension, there's less infighting, or they leave. Right. And sometimes, you know, that that becomes the ultimate. And and I've often, even up front, I've said, this person may just feel that you're attacking them. Right. If you do it this way, and, and that everybody's ganging up, they can see through it. Employees are smart. And we address that up front. And then go into what what ultimately what's the best case scenario. So like every episode that we've got, we're running out of time here. There's so many more things that we that we can cover. Is there anything that we should have asked you that we didn't? Yeah. What's the biggest mistake that leaders make with communication in their teams? Great and, question. What's the biggest mistake leaders make? <laughs> and I have to pull real quickly for the biggest one now that I've asked that question because there are a lot of them. But I think I think the two biggest ones are uh, they don't realize that silence sends a very deafening and strong message. So a lot of leaders will, instead of communicating when things are tough, will be silent. And what that does is that lets everybody else on the team create their own story. So that's very dangerous and something to avoid. And I think the other thing that leaders don't do well is a lot of times we have one-on-one meetings with our team members, which is critically important, especially in hybrid But what they do is they use it as a status meeting for projects, and that's not what it should be. It should be a check-in, it should be coaching, and it should be two-way coaching. It should be coaching the the team member and then also getting feedback, giving feedback for the team member and getting feedback as a leader. Because that's when you're going to get real-time feedback instead of waiting till a quarterly or annual review when half the issues have been forgotten. Absolutely. And, And oftentimes people, especially with the resignation and people leaving, People aren't even around six months. They're not waiting six months to nine months later to get feedback because they can get feedback three, three months, two months, like leaving and going to another company. That's good feedback that yeah. they're getting. They got accepted for another job. That's yeah, that is. So oftentimes the other company is giving feedback on your employees. Right. <laughs> so not a good point. sign. We have one last part that we're going to put. We, we have our favorite section, our lightning round. Uh, we got a couple questions for you. All right. So, if you won the lottery tomorrow, what would you do? Oh, okay. So if I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I, I've always wanted to start a nonprofit and what that nonprofit would be, would be to help folks who have not, who don't have the access to the training that I do and that my network of partners do through corporate America. 
so or who don't have the means. So underserved, underrepresented, underrepresented communities and folks, I would create a nonprofit to give them this type of training that I do for free so they have access to it. So that would be the first thing I do. And I think the second thing I do would be buy a condo or a house somewhere warm for the winter. What's the best advice you ever got but ignored? Oh, boy. To stay in a job I hated because the benefits were good and it was secure. If I had done that, I'd be a very unhappy man right now, I think. Because <laughs> I've changed careers a couple times because it was time. And, and each time I left what most people, and I even got feedback the first two times that you're crazy. What are you doing? You know, you're, you're leaving a secure, regular paycheck. Now, I'm not giving people advice to take risks that are going to put you in danger. I don't mean that. But if you can take a calculated risk that you feel confident in, and it means leaving that security because you're going to fulfill your purpose and do what you're really meant to be doing, I say do it. What are you most surprised about now about about your your Gen X self looking back? What would your youth say? What would what would that 20 year old say about you now? Yeah, well, the 20 year old wanted to be an actor and wanted to be on Broadway and was a musician. And I still am a musician. But and I think if you ask folks I went to high school or college with, they would have told you I was that's what I was going to do. So I think the biggest surprise is that I'm an entrepreneur and my own boss and I'm a pretty good businessman. So so that's kind of a, a big surprise. If you had asked my 20 year old self where I'd be, I don't think I would have thought I would be here. And that fits into one of my favorite themes about fixed and growth mindset coming out, identifying, you know, challenges, your strengths, taking, taking, making some mistakes along the way and becoming something you never thought you would be. Absolutely. And mistakes I have made, but they've all been learning opportunities. So I'm thankful for everyone. Well, we always love to have our great guests back and get updates. And that may be what we talk about next time about mistakes that you've learned. Maybe we'll have a whole episode, Jason, on and bring a few big guests back and what are the biggest mistakes that they had. And my guess is we, we all shared in some of those. We just don't talk about them or they'll bring, they're going to bring back some memories that, that we had. And, and Michael, that was one of them when you, when you talked about the advice you got when I left, and that was 26 years ago, when I left my career as a dentist, um, doing very well, paying six rounds of golf a week, making a lot of money, and people said, dream job. And it's like, what are you going to do? How can you walk behind? You had that investment. Right. Best decision. That door was shut. The, it was shut probably six months before I actually left or, or right. even longer. Yeah, sometimes you have to do what you, you enjoy doing. And, and now people ask me, when are you going to retire? And it's like, why? That's how but, I feel, Ira. Same thing. I feel the same way. Yep. It's been a pleasure. It's great to meet you. We are within driving distance. Uh, we don't have to hop on a plane to see one another. So hopefully we're going to do that. How can, Roxy's got your, your website up there. We are Comvia. Is that the best way for our listeners to reach out to you? That is. Yep. Visit the website. I got a really great active blog there where I give post-communication tips all the time. My podcast is also available on the site. The podcast is called The Leadership Communication Show. It's a monthly podcast. I'd love it if you subscribe to that. And when you're on my website, subscribe to my blog so that you get my posts. I don't send emails too often. Every two weeks, you'll get an email from me with some communication tips you can use in your professional life. Thank you. Please stay safe. And uh, hopefully we do get together as the weather's warming up, we're almost there. It's almost spring. I'd love that. Thank you very much to you both. I really enjoyed the conversation. Have a good day. You Thanks, too. Michael.
Jason, we earned through another 45 minutes. It just goes so fast. I've got a whole list of questions again that we didn't get to or a whole other list of other topics that we didn't even think about. I know. And I'm glad you asked a question to Michael of what should, what didn't we ask that we should. And he, you know, provide that, that brilliant answer on the biggest mistake that leaders make in the silence piece. I'll tell you what, take away for me. And I want to hear yours real quick for me was that healthy opposition is not conflict. And, you know, being mindful of that, that it's okay for there to be friction. Conflict is when it turns personal. And so there has to be healthy opposition in organizations in order to prevent things from turning into conflict. Yeah, and mine was the same. There was a couple notes that I wrote down and, and one was about tension. And and the first reaction when you say conflict is, oh, good, we, we want to get rid of that. And there is a healthy level of conflict. Maybe the better word might be tension. Uh, that goes on. That's how people grow and innovate. And, and you have to be willing to, to, re- to give and receive feedback. And that obviously not everybody's going to receive it as well. And it creates tension. And we have to learn how to deal with that uh, so much better than we do. And, and again, some people, people have two extremes. Some people take it personally and some people just blow it off. And neither of those is the appropriate response. You just can't ignore what other people say because that makes people angry and that'll create more conflict. And if, and if it's so sensitive, you're too sensitive, people don't like that either. They're either going to excise you from the group or they're, they're going to isolate you. So again, it's, it's challenging. Communication is just a, such a, a critical part. And I'm so glad you, you brought Michael on and made the introduction there. I mentioned growth mindset just a few minutes ago. Our, our first module, our first 30-day journey is out. You can get more information about that by going up to Success Performance Solutions up to the website or connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, You're going to see a lot more promotion about that as well. And I do want to direct people to the interview that we did yesterday about the Everywhere Workplace. We had a wonderful interview with with the CEO and Vice President of Avanti. An excellent report. It's getting a lot of press. I had the privilege to be part of, of the rollout on that and a lot of insights there. Jason, I've been editing it since yesterday because I want to get it out to everybody. I have so many clips. I mean, everything was a highlight. It was like almost every conversation was a highlight. So for companies that are looking to move, you know, should we be moving to hybrid remote in, in person? What does that look like? And then talking about the technology and the cybersecurity that's involved in that. Fascinating conversation. Uh, you can listen to the replay up on YouTube. So you can go to youtube.com forward slash Ira Wolf is prominently up there. And then you're going to see a whole lot more coming out. So again, thank you. Uh, but uh, you know, ultimately, thank you for being part of the show. And it's time to sign off. We're getting the boot from Roxy here. <laughs> that's right. And I'm Jason Cochran. We want to thank you, Googleization Nation, for tuning in today. If you haven't subscribed on your favorite podcast platform, please do so. And we'd love it if you would also give us a review. And I'm Ira Wolf. And thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. Until next time, don't let the shift hit your plans. Bye.